We've spent several weeks now looking at the elements of true Christian worship, and we've discovered some interesting things, I think. We started out with the word awe, learning to respect God, reminding ourselves that he is not a creature as we are, but that he, who he is. And this is basically what we see of God through nature as we look at his wonderful universe. Awe is the beginning. That shows the gap between us and God. Then we looked at the truth as it's revealed in Scripture, Old and New Testament, and what God has told him about ourselves, about himself. And we found that the truth adds to our awe so that, in theological terms, special revelation in the Bible adds to the general revelation that we see in the world around us. And our view of God gets even more, uh, oh, astounding, amazing, if you will, distant, so that the gap between us and God is widened. And, and really, that's the beginning of worship, seeing the gap through the awe of God in his natural world and in life itself, and then through the revelation of God, the truth that we read in the scripture. Now, in our worship services, we want to spend time getting in tune with who God is, and we do that through reminding ourselves of the awe, the awesome reality, and also of the truth that's revealed to us in Scripture. So our worship contains both of those elements. And then the third element we talked about was confession. So as we've acknowledged who God is, we also confess who we are. That is, we are small and insignificant. We are finite we're going to die someday. We're not eternal like God. And on top of that, we have sinned against him in many ways. So there are layers of sin on top of our creatureness. And this even widens the gap more. So, ah, the gap between us and God. Truth, the gap becomes wider. Confession, it becomes hopelessly wide. And that's where worship begins, with the gap. But the rest of worship is about narrowing the gap. It's about closing the gap. And the first thing we talked about in that respect is what is known traditionally as sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of animals. It is the gift of offering and tithes to God. But it is also in our New Testament and overwhelmingly in our New Testament covenant with God through Jesus Christ. His sacrifice, God's gift of Christ, has narrowed the gap like nothing else can. Now, the next two elements in our worship services are also gap narrowers, but they kind of reinforce the work of sacrifice that God has already done through Christ. The first is prayer. The second is praise. So if, if awe and truth and confession have widened the gap, the sacrifice reinforced by our prayer and our praise narrows the gap. You see how that works? And our prayers, our supplication, we're asking God, 
for something. We studied that last week. But our praise is not asking God for anything. It is pure offering to God. It is responding to the joy of the fact that the gap is closed. And uh, praise is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Sometimes we think worship is praise, but really praise comes after these earlier elements of worship. We can't really praise God adequately until we experience awe and truth and confession and prayer. Now the praise. Oh my. I, I thought of Psalm 103 and I'd like to share Psalm 103 with you as our main text today. It is so full of praise on so many levels. Listen. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Okay, that is a summary of all that I am. My soul, the, the essential me, the bottom line me, praises the Lord and all that is within me. Everything that makes me up, makes up me, is praising God. This is whole person praise. That's what we'd like to emphasize today. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. So it's it's praise partly for all his benefits. And what are they? Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. All his benefits, forgiveness, healing, redemption, crowning with steadfast love and mercy, lifelong satisfaction. What a lot of blessings we have, and we want to praise God specifically for these with our whole soul, with our whole being. I'm going to skip verses 6 and 7 and go down to verse 8, and we'll see that all of these actions that we're thanking God for are in harmony with who He is, with God's nature. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. That's why he shows mercy and grace, because he is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is his nature. That is who God is. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. There is that caution. But the bottom line is, verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. All those confessions now, we've laid before him, and he's not looking at them. He's looking at our soul. He wants to embrace us with his mercy, his grace, his steadfast love. So we praise him for all of those things. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And now he, the psalmist takes a, a trip into God's realm and, and so the believer now has been the gap is closed so much that God has embraced him and the believer kind of moves from his side to God's side verse 11 for as the heavens are high above the earth so great is his steadfast love toward those 
who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, now we're describing something only describes God, but it also describes how far he removes our transgressions from us. All the immensity of who God is are applied to the way he loves us. And then he moves in a different mood, a different aspect of God's relationship with us because the gap is now closed. He is our Father, intimately embracing us in a paternal love. Verse 13, as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. He doesn't just tolerate you. He feels for you. He feels with you. He has so much entered into your world and brought you into his eternity. For he knows who we are, verse 14. He knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. How sad. But, here comes the big but, verse 17. But, in spite of the fact that we are just hopelessly tiny and, and meaningless and insignificant. But, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And he includes us in that everlasting to everlasting. And God is from awe to awe. And he embraces us in that awesomeness. On those, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord, oh, another trip into eternity, has established his throne in the heavens. Now, everything he says now about his eternity, his infiniteness, includes us and brings us along with us. So he invites us to sing his praise with a, a larger choir. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, obedient to his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers to do his will. These are all descriptions of heavenly beings beyond our imagination that are already praising God in an eternal way. And we are joining with him, with them in our worship. And all of nature, verse 22, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Everything joining in a loud chorus of praise. And when we come to ultimate praise in our worship, we're part of that. We are part of that. We're harmonizing with that. We're in rhythm with that. And that's why this psalm closes as it began. Listen, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Wow. Now that's worship. Have you ever been to a worship service that made you feel that way? Well, words are not enough. And that's why I talk about whole person praise. Jesus, in fact, 
said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So we should love the Lord. And Luke adds in his version, Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's almost like with all your heart, soul, and mind to the nth degree. And that means we are to put our minds into loving God, our heart, our emotions into loving God, our very essential being. The whole person is part of worshiping God. Now, in order to do that, we have to have more than ourselves. And that's one reason why we have worship services, why God established that. Whole person prays and lists every means of expression to help praise God adequately. First, we join with others. Others in corporate worship. A large group or a small group. But others help us worship. They magnify our worship. They correct and redirect our worship when it's inadequate. So others are important. And then context is important. That's why we have large church buildings, enormous cathedrals, stained glass windows, artwork, lighting, candles, special clothing for some priests and others, incense, atmosphere. The the context of our worship helps us worship. Now, some people aren't helped by that. They're helped by a more modest environment. But I can tell you, if I go down to St. Andrew's Catholic Church in Pasadena, look at that gorgeous structure and the different colored marble and the very immensity of it, I want to worship. I feel I am worshiping. And for many people, liturgy and rituals are a great help in the sense of worshiping. These are all aids to worship that help us magnify the Lord. Music, of course, is special, but we're going to come back to music later. But also our posture goes into how we worship the Lord, bowing to Him, acknowledging our submission, kneeling before Him. And then some services involve kneeling, sitting, standing, many services increasingly these days are involving standing and raising your hands in worship. Whole body worship is a part of this whole experience. Whether it happens in a black church in the United States or whether it happens in a church in China, which is much more subdued. And and if posture is part of it, also movement can be part of it. Now, we come from sit-on-your-hands uh, kind of uh, uh, quiet worship, many of us, I shouldn't say we, but I do. And, uh, you know, a movement is a suspicious thing, but, huh, man, there's some groups that really move. The Shakers in the 19th century were known for their ritual dance, and they, they got carried away by it, and they, it was all part of praise. But today, praise dance is coming back, and we're just going to show you a little praise dance that was done in Aldina Baptist Church just a few years ago with Lauren Devon and her group from UCLA. And uh, here they are. Come on. Here's my worship. Here's my love. 
worship and music is part of every church. Sometimes it's a cappella, but sometimes it's a traditional church choir, and sometimes it's a uh, maybe a a really advanced church choir. There, all sorts, and you know, classical music. The whole tradition of classical music has its roots in church music. Bach and all of the other great classical musicians began writing for churches. Handel's Messiah is an example of uh, flowering of church music. And uh, many churches have developed a, a wonderful bridge to <clears throat> quiet church music and classical church music in the church organ. And my, there are some massive church organs. And when you see what a person has to go through to play that organ, my, he's, he's a whole orchestra all by him or herself. So those expressions of music are aids to our worship experience in context of, of a, maybe a beautiful atmosphere, maybe a humble atmosphere, but others with us in worship. And, and, and you can almost say, when you express yourself musically to God, it should be whatever turns you on. Because it wasn't always great organs and massive choirs with beautiful robes. Here, here's a psalm, the last psalm in our Bible, 150, and it talks about praising God. And it focuses on music, but it begins like this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. There is the combination of the sanctuary, which is a sign for the worship of God, our church in this case, and his mighty firmament. They're both temples to God's praise. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing trumpet, surpassing greatness. I got ahead of myself because the very next verse, verse Three begins to talk about musical instruments. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. I guess two different kinds of cymbals. Let everything that breathes find a way to praise the Lord. I added, find a way. But it's almost like they're discovering ways to praise the Lord with music. And that has happened as long as people have been conscious of who God is. Way back when God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, Moses responded and said, Who am I, Lord? I'm not worthy. But the Lord, in, in Exodus uh Chapter 4, verse 2, the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, Throw it to the ground. So he threw the staff to the ground, became a snake. Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it, became a staff in his hand. Now, that question, the Lord asked, what is in your hand? Whatever Moses had in his hand, God could use. Some shepherds who were descendants of Moses were out on the hillside and they were 
skinning a ram who had died, and they said this horn must be good for something else, and they took it home and let it dry, and they found you could actually play a note through it by blowing air in one end it came out the other that was a ram's horn and and that was what led to all of the wind instruments in our current orchestra just through discovering that you could play a note in praise to God through a shofar like this and uh, that became a major instrument in Israel's worship well if you take that idea into the Ozarks and talk to Emmett Otter and you say, Emmett, what do you have in your hand? He said, oh, I just got a washboard. And my friend, uh, he's got a, a box there with some strings attached to it. And this guy, my other friend, he's got a jug. And he can make noise by blowing in that jug. And this guy has a wash tub. And he makes it sound like a boom, boom sound. And they put it all together and they came up with Emmett Otter's Jug Band just by using what they had in their hand. So, what you have in your hand, what you have in your heart, what you have in your mind, what you have in your voice, what you have in your understanding, make it an instrument of praise to God. I, I, I just decided to end with a Gregorian chant because it's so alien to my background. But it speaks to me. And I'd like to read the words before we go out listening to it. Let my praise arise in your presence as incense. And let the lifting of my hands be as an evening prayer. Lord, I have called to you. Hear me. Attend the voice of my prayer when I call you. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to words of evil, to invent excuses for my sins. Let my praise arise in your presence as incense. Let the lifting of my hands be as an evening sacrifice. See if you sympathize with these Russian Orthodox priests as they praise God in a great cathedral.
in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.